But that that um that brings up a, a good point. Some of the um what I wanted to I wanted to address a couple things um, from the previous assignments. So this will be key not only for the assignments but especially for the exams. And it, it's easy to get tripped up on, but read the questions and answer the questions that are asked. Um, Sometimes some of you guys did more work than was needed because uh, you answered questions that weren't even in there, um, and then you neglected to answer the question that was being asked. And so. Um, with this, I mean, probably good practice is with the assignment, figure out what is it that they're asking for, um, and just answer that precisely. And um, especially with, with the exams, because you only have a limited number of points that you can get, and if, and if you don't answer the question, I can't give you credit for it. And if you answer a question that wasn't asked, we don't give credit for that either. So. Um, so these, the, pro, the practice problems will be good practice of sort of like, okay, what are they asking for here? Because the exam questions are going to be very similar to the, to the problems you're doing now. So I just have noticed that um, with both part one and part two, sort of half answering or answering stuff that, isn't, um, that wasn't asked. Um, okay, so here, here's a, a thing that came up um, from the assignments is that, uh, so Experiments um, eliminate confounding variables. Um, and the idea is, uh, like, if, if we want to know if, if caffeine consumption uh, affects exam performance, we could do an observational study. And, and at the beginning of, this, uh, of the exam, we could just say right at the top, did you have caffeine this morning? Um, and say we found a relationship between caffeine and exam performance in the observational study. We couldn't make a causal claim about that relationship because there's all these confounding variables um, that could be affecting it. Could, like um, I think Brittany said, staying up late the night before studying or just a whole range of stuff. Um, but if you do an experiment, what the experiment does is it, it takes all these confounding variables and sort of eliminates them from the equation because we've randomly assigned who gets the caffeine. And so some of you in the assignments had said, there's a question about, hey, we ran this experiment. Is, can we make a causal claim? And some of you said, no, because there's um, confounding variables. Or some of you said, yes, you can make a causal claim, but you'd want to take into account the confounding variables. And so um, technically, if, if you run an experiment, um, the confounding variables are eliminated. Um, so you don't need to worry, worry about them, and you can make a causal claim. So that's just something that you'll want to um, sort of at least get it clearer in your head, sort of the difference between an observational study and an experiment. Are there any, I mean, I know this is, can be confusing. Are there aspects of this that either just don't make sense or questions that you have related to that since from doing the assignment? You got one? No, I was going to ask my tutor. Wait, OK, yeah. So yeah, and this is a good one to, to ask the tutors. Um, OK, here's, here's another one that's, that's come up. Um, you guys have done a great job of um, sort of digging into the GSS and sort of finding variables, finding new variables. Um, one thing to sort of keep in mind is that this is a survey of people. So in a sense, you could be one of the people in this survey. 
and the, the questions that they ask are, are different types of questions. So sometimes they're asking you about your attitudes or beliefs about things. So like Rachel has a variable um, called single parent. And it's asking, do you think a single parent can raise a kid as well as uh, two parents? Now, all that is asking is, that question is asked to every single one of the people, um, but it doesn't let you know whether that person is a single parent or a double parent or not even a parent at all. So um, when you're finding associations between um, this question and you try and match it with, like, say, the number of kids they have or something, it might, there might not be an association, they might have zero kids because this is just a question about attitudes. It's not a question about, are you a single parent? And, and so the best way to figure that out is to look at the actual question that was asked. Um, and then there's a lot of questions about the person's characteristics, like how many kids do you have, how many siblings do you have, what's your income, all those things. But then there's also questions about like significant others or spouses. Um, and so you want to make sure, is this question being asked about um, the individual or like their spouse or their friend or things like that? So especially as you move forward with, with the research paper, um, you just want to know that you're picking the right variable and that it's measuring the thing that you think that it's measuring. So, um, okay, so the part two was um, uh, to, to find sample statistics for one categorical variable and for one quantitative variable. Um, do you guys want your assignments back so you can tell? I'm going to have each of you share one. Let's see. I'll give them back. So, um, Rachel, can you pick one uh, categorical variable? Sort of briefly give the variable name, the question related to it, and um, the sample statistics for the categorical variable. Oh, I didn't write that. Yeah. Okay, what do you tell me what you have? Um, I just like put like pick the graphs off. So. Okay. So, I'm sorry. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. For, um, for a categorical variable, the sort of the statistic that we're most interested in is the proportion of, of people who fall into each category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so like the first one I did was um, I just looked at, there was a medical study uh -huh. about um, people who had back pain, and uh -huh. I just did it for gender, like depending on 
Okay, okay. So what what proportion of um, females have back pain? Um, it says 27%. Okay. Okay. That's good. Perfect. Right. Yep. Yeah. No. So I was that's, confused what you were asking. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's good. Um, and then McKay, do you um, have, I want give me a quantitative variable if you have one. Okay. Yep, okay. perfect. The mean was 4.5, and the median was 2, and it's right skewed. Okay, perfect. That's perfect. Very good. Okay, um, you can pick cat quantitative or categorical. I'll do categorical. I did hair color. Okay. And um, there was actually, there was, it was this study was like brown hair. So it was 8.8% okay. were very dark brown, 272 was dark brown. 46.3 is medium brown, 13.9 is light brown, and 3.7 is very light brown. Interesting. So you could you could do some uh, some good sociological research on um, hair color and certain outcomes. So very good, <laughs> Brittany. Um, I have a Okay, so, and how do you how do you interpret that? Um, a mean of six and a median of zero. I especially like looking at the high numbers. Like a lot of there were a few people that spent a lot of time. Uh huh. Like twenty hours, twenty five hours, but there was the high majority of people spent like zero uh -huh. hours doing it. So yeah. like those people, those few people that spent so many hours, because it was based on hours, really pulled the. Yeah. Because there yeah. wasn't many people around six hours. It was pretty drastic. Change. I see. A lot of hours versus not a lot of hours. Okay. Yeah. So then, um, would you say less than fifty percent spend zero hours, or more than fifty percent of the people spend zero hours? More than fifty percent. And why is that? Exactly. So yeah. So if the median, if the median value is zero hours, that means that that's the middle point. That means 50% of the respondents said zero, um, or it could even be more than 50%. Um, so, great. Very good. Um, yeah. Oh, perfect. Oh, you got, oh, so you, you figured it out? Okay. Uh, do you want categorical or quantitative? You can pick. Okay. Okay. Okay, and do you, okay, here's uh, a challenging follow-up question. What does 10.2 mean? What is it? Um, okay. Oh, you think it's uh, the hourly wage? Okay, well, I don't know. And so um, hopefully it's not total dollars, you know, because... <laughs> 
that would be a low income, or it could be dollars per hour or something like that. So it's so that's a great example of where it's important to know what the variable is made. Like you see income, you're like, okay, but then you want to see is this hourly wage? Is this a cat? It could even be a categorical variable. Maybe. I, yeah. yeah. They separated the income into brackets. Uh huh. Like, you know, like one was, because I have the same thing as 10.2 is the mean, and then yeah. like 15,000 to 20,000. Okay. So I didn't know that, what that would be considered. Yeah. So that would be a, um, especially if, if it's already in that form, that means it was a quantitative variable that they converted uh-huh. into a categorical. Um, so then, because, yeah, your, your answer would be maybe. Uh, Five, and then right. you have to go and see what is five corresponding. That's, that that's why I wasn't sure because I know like most categorical mean doesn't mean yeah. anything. Yeah. Like this one, you could, still you could sort of figure it out. Yeah. So yeah. I got a question. So I was looking at one of them and I did the quantitative and was, I did area and it was 2.6 mean and a three medium, but it looks symmetrical. Is that because it's not three and three? Is it not symmetrical? Because I mean, I looked at like through the eyes, like I'm just looking at it and it wasn't that much different. Uh huh. It doesn't have to be precise. Okay. The mean and median don't have to be exactly the same, mm-hmm. um, and that's why visually you can you can look at it and see is it looks symmetrical or not. Um, and and so yeah, it's okay. Well, it's, it's it's oftentimes rare that it would actually exactly line up, but then you can look at it visually, or there's ways to sort of do a, a quick test to see is this sort of a symmetrical distribution. So, well, good. Um, so, okay, we'll, we'll move on um, to this lecture, and um, I, I will forewarn you, uh, from, from this point forward, um, the mathematics uh, of, this, of this course will be uh, stepping up. Um, but I've tried to make these slides such that um, I don't just give you the question and the answer, but I show you the steps in between. So, um, afterwards, if you're trying to, like, figure out, well, how did he go from here to there? A lot of the steps will be mapped out on the slides. Um, but you just got to sort of make sure you understand step one and how you got to step two to step three. So we're describing data, um, looking at uh, distributions and relationships. So um, can someone give a quick definition of what distributions are? When we say distributions, what are we talking about? Yeah. Yep. So it's sort of uh, all the value, how the values are kind of spread out um, across, like the x-axis. Um, so that's good. It's, it's the um, yeah, all the values of the people in your sample or units in your sample. Okay, so we're going to look at um, one uh, w- one quantitative variable, and what we looked at, um, let's see, yesterday or t- on Friday was shape and center, like measures of the shape of the distribution and also the center of the distribution. And then today we're going to look at um, the spread. And so um, the measures of spread, now this is probably one of the most important concepts, but also um, 
fairly intuitively inaccessible. It's like hard to like, uh, it's not something we think about very much, it's standard deviation. We think about mean and average, but we don't think about standard deviation. But this is critical that you guys understand what standard deviation uh, is measuring. But the, generally speaking, it's measuring the spread of the distribution. So the sample deviation, which is uh, italicized S, measures the spread of the distribution. So here's the, uh, the formula for this. So little s here is notating standard deviation. And then uh, this symbol here is sort of, it's called the, the summation symbol. And it sums up um, all the values in here. And then you divide by n minus 1. Uh, anybody, what's uh, small n referencing? Sure. Sample size, perfect. Um, and then what is, uh, let's see, what is x bar? Anybody remember what x bar is, Brittany? Sample mean, very good. And then what about um, little x, or xi? Someone different from Brittany. What would x, what is, um, what is x referring to? Just the variable. Yep. So it's um, it's going to be you look at so i <coughs> goes from one to n, and n is the sample size. So if you have a hundred people in the sample, this little counter is going to go i one, i two, i three, all the way up to a hundred. Um, so it's basically saying for each value in the sample, which is right here, um, how much does it deviate? from the sample mean. So if, if we're doing like, um, we'll do age, but we won't, we won't um, use this class as the sample. But let's say we do age, and the, um, the sample mean is 40. You could take yourself, who is, who is 20 in here? OK, so Chris, how much, um, just in here, how much does Chris's age deviate from the sample mean? Sample mean is 40. His age is 20. 20, OK. So basically, that's what you'd be doing, is you'd be taking Chris's age, subtracting it from, it'd actually be minus 20, right? Yeah. So um, subtract it from the sample mean. And then you're going to square that value, um, and then go on to the next person. And so it's going to, fortunately, there's your computer will do this for you, but you need to know, kind of know what it's calculating. And so, um, so how much does it deviate from the sample mean? Um, so then this, the standard deviation provides the average amount the values in the sample deviate from the sample mean. So I, I'm probably saying this like a hundred different ways, a hundred different times, but it's, uh, so Deviation is sort of how, how much do you uh, deviate, uh, what's another word from deviate? How much do you um, differ or, or um, yeah, differ from the mean? Um, but that's, that's what it's measuring. So the, the reference point is, is going to be the mean. And then how much does each value, um, how close or far away from that mean is that value? And so, so then you're going to take all the values in the sample 
and collectively say, are all the values kind of squeezed close to the mean, or are they kind of you know, spread out? So um, I'll do a, a quick example. In this class, if the class was the sample, and we're looking at um, the standard deviation for, for the age of the people in this class, would the, would the standard deviation, sort of the average deviation, be uh, large or small? Like how much do ages, how much does each of your individual ages differ from the sample um, mean age? Chris. One year. I mean, I okay. Yeah. 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 So, so compared to like if we did a sample of Durham, which which uh, standard deviation would be larger, this classroom or the Durham sample. So the Durham sample, because there's just more variation in the values, whereas in this class it's really tight around the mean. And we'll keep walking through this. Um, so, and also the standard deviation is always greater than zero. So you never have a negative standard deviation. And even like with, with Chris's example of his age being 20, which is 20 below the mean, um, because we square it, um, that gets rid of the negative value. Um, so kind of like what we were talking about, the, the more spread out the distribution is, the larger the standard deviation will be. So this is sort of like an example of, of our classroom ages where all the values are kind of compressed. They're really close to the mean, and they kind of hover around the mean, whereas um, this example the values have a much broader range and are more spread out. And so the standard deviation for this one is 4. Um, so then this is a sort of a, an important mathematical truth or rule, um, is that if a distribution is symmetric and bell-shaped, then approximately 95% of the data values will lie within two standard deviations of the mean. So so a standard deviation is actually, it's, it's, it's a measure of something. It's, it's measuring how spread out the, the values are. And so what this is saying is that along this axis, if, if you go out two standard deviations in both directions from the mean, 95% of the values or 95% of the people will fall in within that range. Yeah? So that was a bigger curve. Uh-huh. Was four. Yeah. So two standard deviations would be eight. Yes. Yep. And and what the way that the reason why that would work is because um, if you spread it out further, this is going to kind of go okay. down. Yeah. And so the 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 95% range will still okay. sort of be the same. But um, so it's it's basically saying this is like a, a quick way to sort of capture what is 95% of the respondents, where do their values fall? And you can just, once you know the standard deviation, you can do a quick calculation to find out where 95% of the people fall. And this will be important for further on in the course. Um, so we'll, we'll do a, a, a quick practice of this. So here's our curve, or here's our distribution of, of data. and. Um, you know, a way that these curves are created is kind of like a dot plot. So there's data points 
you know, remember how you, they stack up the more, the more you have. And so since it's um, symmetric, there's going to be uh, the most people are going to fall right in here, you know, because there's going to be that many dots stacking up. Um, looking at this, um, let me see what I put in. Uh, what is the sample mean for this distribution? So these are heights in inches. What's the sample mean? Chris? 64.5. 64.5. Perfect. Let's see. Hey, you got it. 64.5. Okay. So next, this one's more tricky. What is the standard deviation for this distribution? So you don't even need to use the formula. So don't worry about trying to write down all, all the values. 7.5. Okay. How did you get that? I, I don't know. I just went like 72 minus 64.5. 72 minus. Okay. And why did you pick 72? Okay. Oh, so you're thinking um, the range. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the range. Okay. Um, so then, are you gonna try, Brittany? Five. Okay, how did you get five? Okay, yeah. So, um, let's see, I'll go back. Uh, okay, approximately 95% of the data values will lie within two. So you, you're getting it, you're getting it. Um, 2.5. So how do you get that? Okay. Or I guess you could just do it. 67, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. And so, so that's right. So that's, that's sort of how you can just do it just by looking at a graph. Um, so you, you'll never have to plug the numbers into that formula, um, but you'll need to know sort of how to, get to the, how to get to the standard deviation looking at things like this. Um, and so 2.5 inches. Okay, so um, what is your height if it is two standard deviations above the mean? So someone in the front row. Boom, he gets it. Good job. How'd you get that? Okay, you just know it. Oh, no, I mean, I just added 2.5. Okay. Be, and because 2.5 is what? Okay. So um, now in, in uh, let's see, I was going to say interpret that, but um, basically uh, what that saying is, is sort of a person with a height 69.5, it kind of shows you where they fit in the distribution. They fit right on sort of the, the edge of the 95% range. Um, whereas if like the height was 67 or, or in here, you kind of know you're in the middle of the distribution. So this is good. You guys are, are, are beginning to graph it. So um, yeah. I have one question about yep. that last slide. So you know, always like say like 95% up there if you're looking at the graph like that? No, it won't always say it, but but what it will say is uh, oftentimes it'll say what the standard deviation is, mm -hmm. and then you will know that if so. Let's say it says the standard deviation is is two point five. 
you will know, okay, I can go out two standard deviations, and whatever this value is, mm -hmm. I can kind of go up, and I can then go out this way, two, two standard deviations, and go up, and you can kind of create that 95% range. So more often, it'll show, um, it'll tell you what the standard deviation is, and then you can just go to that point, almost literally draw lines and say, okay, 95% of the values fit within here. So good, good question. Um, so z-score, um, this is another one, another term that's going to come up that you probably don't use in everyday life. Um, you don't ask what's your z-score. Um, but what it is, it's the number of standard deviations from the mean. Um, let's see. So um, my, my uh, height z-score is about negative 2.5. What does that mean? Yeah, I'm like a little below average or uh, a lot. What? I'm not even in the like uh, I'm not even in the bottom five percent. Like if 95 percent uh, of the values are are within two standard deviations, and my height is negative uh, 2.5 standard deviations, that means I'm really short. <laughs> so, um, but that's my z-score. So like, in a sense, you can, all of you have a z-score for your height, for your weight. It kind of tells you where you fit on the distribution. So like when someone says, what's your z-score? Um, it's sort of, that what they're asking is, whatever your value is for what's being measured, where does it fit? On the distribution. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In fact, so like my son is in the uh, the tenth percentile for height, and people are like, "Oh wow, he's only in the tenth percentile." I'm like, "He's doing awesome because I'm only in the third percentile, <laughs> so he's like off the charts." But yeah, it's exactly that. It's sort of it lets you know where you fit in relation to the other scores in the distribution. Um, so uh, a value z-score indicates how far it is from the mean. So in a sense, me being negative 2.5, I know that I'm 2.5 um, standard deviations from the mean. So then um, here's, here's the formula for z-score. And I'm only showing you the formulas that, in a sense, you need to know. So I'm not giving you superfluous uh, formulas just to overwhelm you. But these are the ones that you'll need to know. So uh, z-score, what, um, let's see. Can someone take a stab at um, interpreting this formula? Kind of put it in words what it's doing. Chelsea? Um, uh huh. Sample. You got it. Sample what? So let's say we're talking about height. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sample <laughs> mean. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so like during the exam, when Timothy all of a sudden goes, <laughs> it'll be a signal to everyone, use the mean. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So, so with, with uh, z-score, what you're always doing is you're finding the position for a specific value. And so in, in, in these cases, the i will be whatever sort of person you're wanting to measure. So if I want to know um, Brittany's z-score, I would put in Brittany's value here and see how it compares with the sample mean. And then divided by the standard deviation. Um, so everyone has a, has a corresponding z-score. Um, it's a unit-free a unit -free measure of extremity of a data point. And what that's basically saying is that um, you, can, you can compare uh, z-scores even if people are using different units of measure. So like, say we want to compare with people in Europe, and they're using um, centimeters for height. Like, you were, oh, how do we compare? Because one's using centimeters, one's using inches. Do we need to convert? You actually don't, because the way that this is designed is it's sort of a, a standardized score that doesn't depend on what, what units you're using. Yeah? Can you, so can you compare related values as well? Like, would there, can you compare like, your, the z-score of your height to your z-score of your height? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yep. And you would, there would likely be a correlation right. between those, yeah. So, um, so then z-scores farther from zero in either direction are more extreme. So you kind of, you know, you want to know where you fall in the distribution. Um, if you have a, a, a highly negative z-score, you know you're way on the um, left side of the distribution, whereas if you have a high z-score, you're on the right side of the distribution. Um, and then, again, this 95% rule, 95% of the z-scores for a distribution fall between negative 2 and 2. So 95% of the people in your population are going to fall within negative uh, 2 and 2 standard deviations from the mean. So, um, and again, it's just sort of letting you know where you fall in that distribution, and if you're sort of within the 95% camp, or if you're outside of the 95% camp, you know you're extra special. So, um, so okay, we, we'll do a z-score. We're back at height again. Um, if you are 67 inches tall, what is the z-score for your height? You, you might have to write it down to figure it out, or if you can do it in your head, that's fine. So you you did it. Um, so that's good. You you conceptually got it, which is far better than <laughs> mathematically getting it. So, so um, that's good. You, you got it. You just did the, the numbers wrong. Unfortunately, on the exam, you have a calculator. And I grade much, much more on getting it conceptually than making dumb math errors. So, Chris. I mean, for this one, I'm going to just pretty easy. You just go right there, so one over. OK, you go one you over. Um, so they won't necessarily show this, you know, what will be on the um, x-axis will be values. So it'll be probably like 61, 62, 63, 64, 65. So then, but you can still do what you're talking. You'd say, okay, my reference point 
is the mean. It's always the mean. So you say, okay, where's the mean? And then you say, okay, if I want to go over, um, well, I want to go over to 67, and how many, you kind of would have to do the math. You'd have to know, oh, I went over one standard deviation. Um, but yeah, there's, you can figure it out with the formula or by visually looking at it. And I might ask either, but I give you enough information to where you can figure out either. Um, so z equals 1. Uh, so 59.5 inches is how many standard deviations below the mean? You went over to it. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, so, so that just, that helps you. Um, so you, you guys are beginning to sort of see how, how it fits in. And, and you could also plug the numbers in and you would get two as well. Um, okay, so last one. What is your height if its z-score is three? Someone who hasn't answered yet, Rachel, or we'll say Timothy. Seventy-two. Seventy-two inches. Okay, how did you get that? Um, because the one z-score, the one centimeter deviation. Uh huh. Is two point five. So I just wanted to Okay. Perfect. So why wouldn't it be um, fifty-seven? Ah, perfect. Very good. So, so yes, the 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 sign on the number tells you which direction you're going in. Now, had that been like negative three, would I have said fifty-seven? Would I have worked that way though? Yeah, you say, um, say that one. Ask it one more time. But let's say like the z score is negative, negative three. Would I would I work backwards? Yeah, yeah. You would just say because negative three is basically saying that it's three standard deviations below the mean. Right. So. Um, 72 inches. Okay. Isn't the average the uh, No, I think, I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's, I think it is. I think it is. So, um, okay, so, so standard deviation and z-score, you're going to see them all the time, like from this day to the end of class. So it's just, and it's, again, we don't talk about standard deviation or z-score in everyday life. So it's really important to sort of conceptually know what we're asking about with both of these. So the standard deviation is, a, is, is measuring the, the spread of the whole distribution. It's kind of looking at the, the whole sample, whereas z-score is looking at the position of a value on the distribution. So because you might get something that uh, has a standard deviation of 1, don't confuse that with a z-score of 1. They're, they're measuring two, two different things. So the standard deviation is sort of for the whole sample, whereas z-score is for a specific value in the sample. Um, so I, I have all these examples in here, and I'll let, I'm just going to fly through these because we've, I think we've done it pretty well. Um, but you'll have them on the slides so you can um, so you can kind of go back and test yourself or whatever. <clears throat> okay, so here's a real life example. Duke University admissions office uh, all of a sudden got a ton of applications and half the students had ACT scores and half the students had SAT scores and they're on different uh, scales, different units. Uh, and so they're like, oh my gosh, how do we tell 
what, what score is better? Is, is an ACT score of 28 or a combined SAT score of 2100, which one's better between those two? Um, and without using uh, the, the, the standard deviation or the, the Z-score, there's really how, there's no way to find out because they're two different tests and they have two different measures. And so, but this provides a way to sort of quickly tell what score is actually better, a 28 or a 2100. Um, and so the, the, the two pieces of information that are critical to know and that you'll always sort of be given when you have samples is um, you'll be given the mean and you'll be given the standard deviation. And so if you have those two pieces of information, you can do a ton with, with the data. And so, um, so if you were, if, if I was going to ask you this, um, this question, how would you begin to figure this out using um, the stuff that we just learned about standard deviation and z-score? Okay, I'll give you a hint. Which test score has a higher z-score? So the standard deviation sort of gives you the distribution of all the ACT scores that are out there. And, um, and the z-score lets you know where on that distribution that point lies. It sort of lets you know the position on that distribution. So remember we were talking about 95th percentile? It sort of lets you know um, this value of 28 is, is one of the values in this distribution. And so if you want to find out where that fits on the distribution, you would, find, you would calculate its z-score. Yes? Say, uh, say this, uh, yeah, 2100, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 How do you know the answer? Oh, just because you know. Could be B because it's the Z score that would be higher because I I know it's higher than one point. Yeah. So. ACT score, so you basically, so, so Chris is on the right path. So you take uh, the, the value that you're interested in, which is 28, you subtract from that the mean, and you divide by the standard deviation. And so you get a z-score of 1.4. And then you do the same for SAT. So what's interesting is, you know, the, the scale of these numbers is very different. You know, like a, a 28 in a 2100, 20, it's like, well, how, you know, the 2100's got to be more. Or, you know, like you think about um, quantities, but because you're also um, subtracting the mean value, it's, it's going to even it out. Yes, Chelsea? Uh, the test when we um, have the Yeah. Yeah. Two O is probably good, but I think with this one it's 1.40. So, but yeah, so that's um, two is is a good 
Um, and again, you'll be able to do this on your calculator. And um, so, uh, so then this just tell so so then um, which test score? Uh, uh, let's see, which one is better, an ACT of twenty eight or a SAT of twenty one hundred? Brittany. Why? Uh huh. Yep. Yep. So, so basically, like with the ACT, it says that the the average person gets a 21 on there, and so you want to know how much above average or below average are you. And with the ACT, you're you're 1.4 standard deviations above the average, um, whereas this one. The person who got the 2100 is 1.85 standard deviations above the average, so they're they're that much better than the average. So, you guys are right. SAT score of 2100 uh, is the better better score. Um, so so that I mean that's a, a chunk of stuff. Hopefully the the slides can um, you you can go back and sort of refresh your memory on on those. There's other measures of location. Um, but the most difficult one was the z-score. Um, but here's some other measures of location. So um, maximum, so again, we're looking at, um, you, have a, you have a sample distribution, and you want to look at a specific value. And this specific value is um, the largest data value, the one, the, the one that's farthest to, to the right. And then also would be uh, the minimum. And then we have uh, quartiles. So again, these are specific points uh, in the distribution. Uh, Q1 would be the median value, median of the values below the median. So if you, you know, you, to get the median, you cut the distribution in half and whatever the center point is, and then you could take the bottom half and cut it in half again and get. Um, Q1, which is the median of the, the values below the median. Q3 is the median of the values above the median. Oops. So you have max, min, and quartiles. So here's our five number summary. This is like sort of a, a, a way to sort of look at all of these measures of location together. So you have the, the min and the max at the extremes. You have the median, which is in the center. <clears throat> and then the quartiles, which are the halfway points um, <clears throat> below and above the median. And so then the way this works out is 25% of the values are going to be between the min and the first quartile. The next 25% is going to be between the first quartile and the median, and then so on. And so basically, if you look at the median, below the median is 50% of the values. Above the median is 50% of the values. And it's just sort of, it, basically, people will ask you, um, you know, they'll, they'll give you a distribution of, of values, and they'll say, OK, what's the max and the min of these? Like, that, that could be um, a, a, just a quick question, and you could say, OK, the max is, is this and the min, and so you could be a test. Like if, if um, your variable that you're measuring is height and it says the min is uh, 
two, you'd be like, okay, wait, is that two inches, two feet, or two meters, or you know, what is it? Because two doesn't seem like a minimum height necessarily, mm -hmm. and so then, and vice versa. So it's a way to sort of check your data. Is um, check the maximum and check the median. Um, another uh, measure of location would be percentiles. So the the p percentile is the value of a quantitative variable that is greater than p percent of the data. Now this is a, a horrible way to define it, um, and I, I tried to figure out a better way, but there there isn't. Um, but the better way to do it is just to then look at look at an example. But but it's sort of like what Chris was talking about. Like if you're in the 95th percentile, it's sort of it's indicating where on the distribution your value fits. Um, so let's, let's, I think I gave. Oh yeah. So we'll use the SAT and ACT example. So Z scores can determine whether an SAT score of 2100 or an ACT score of 28 is better. Um, percentiles can also provide uh, this information. So an AC, ACT score of 28 um, puts you in the 91st percentile. And what, is that, um, what does that mean? If, if I say that this score is in the 91st percentile, yes? For, yes. So the, uh, their score is uh, better than 91% of the people in, in the, um, that took the exam. Um, so 28 is greater than 91% of the scores. <clears throat> and, and there's, uh, in a sense, tables that, that you can use where basically if you have the z-score, you can see what percentile it matches up with. If, if the z-score um, is two, what is the percentile? So if, um, let's say we had an ACT score that had a, a Z-score of two, meaning that it's two standard deviations above the mean, what would the percentile be? 90, why? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so, it, you can even sort of visual like if I if I said, um, yeah, a, a Z score of negative two. Um, actually, that's a good one. What if what if the Z score is negative two? What would um, what would the percentile be? Fifth percentile. So so this the score is is better than only 5% of the population. Question, Chelsea? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> let me see if I have a graph. I don't know. Um, so when you have a distribution of values, 95% of the values are going to fit within two standard deviations of the mean. And so if, um, if my score is negative two standard deviations, I'm going to go over two. And um, basically, it's going to be right at the 5% the mark. Because there's 95% uh, of the values are kind of be in here. And so you kind of know if you go out to, you'll be at the 5% the percentile mark. 
Um, but, but basically, every z-score corresponds with a percentile. And so there's tables where you can look that up, or you kind of know some benchmark things of 2%, uh, a z-score of 2 corresponds with the 95 percentile. Um, and so let's see. OK, so um, the SAT score of 2100 is the 97th percentile. Now, you guys might not remember what the z-score was for, um, for the SAT score of 2100. Um, Give a, a rough guess of what you think it would be. If if the, if it's in the ninety seventh percentile, meaning that um, that it's greater than ninety seven percent of the scores, what would the Z score be? Great. Great. Oh, maybe I'm. Yeah, you're right. Good catch. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. It's good that you guys don't remember what it was, but you're right. So it would be, I'll, I'll have to go and fix that or check that. Um, that is really interesting. I'll have to check that. So you, that's exactly right, that it would have to be greater than 2. We don't know exactly what it is, but because it's in the 97th percentile, we know that it's beyond two standard deviations. Was it three standard deviation 99.7 in the first one? So yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job, impressive. So, um, so that just sort of, again, these are measures of location for specific values. Um, so, whenever you're asking about percentiles, you're kind of wanting to know, well, where does this value fit on the distribution? Um, so, five number summary. Uh, this is the slide that we just looked at. Um, so, the min. If you're the min score, if you get the absolute lowest score in the SAT you can know that you're in the zeroth percentile, that there's no one, you didn't get a score better than anyone. Um, however, if you're the max and you're in the hundredth percentile, that means that your score is, is better than 100% of the scores in, in the distribution. Um, if you're in the 50th percentile, it means that you're greater than 50, better than 50% of the people in the sample. And then the quartiles line up with um, the 25th percentile and the 75th percentile. Yeah? How do they do it if there's more than one person? Like if you get a perfect score? Yeah. Than that, but if there's three people with perfect scores and they're not, you know, you're like 99.9? Well, so, yeah, I'm not sure. That is a good question. Um, but basically, all those values fit into that. Um, that quadrant of the hundredth percentile because they're they're all the max and sort of like with with median um, to to find sort of like the yeah yeah so it's okay that there's more than one value in fact it, with the median there will be a lot of people at the fiftieth percentile so it's more so making sure that is that value the max value. And it doesn't really matter if there's other values that also share that amount. Um, okay, so then um, measure of, of spread. What's, what's the predominant measure of spread that we use in this course? Standard, say it? Standard deviation, yes. And what's what's um, sort of the the major um, measure of location 
that we use in this course. The one that takes um, fancy calculations. It's like, so we want to know where, so standard deviation gives you the spread of the distribution, um, and then when we want to know the, the location, z-score, yeah. Z-score lets you know where on the distribution it fits. Um, and so now we're going to look at sort of how outliers fit into this whole, whole equation. Um, so, so the range, um, the range of values is the max to the min. So it's basically, that's the, the, the endpoints of the distribution. Um, then there's also a thing that's used is the inner quartile range. Um, and that's basically the third quartile minus the first quartile. So it's like the middle 50% of values. These are just sort of other measures of spread that we're looking at. Um, so is, is the range resistant to outliers? Does anyone remember what resistant means? Brittany? Um, it's not effective. So the median is resistant to outliers. The median is not resistant to the median. Uh, but flip, flip it around. So, um, so you're right. Resistance means is, um, how influenceable how effective it is by outliers. So then the median, is it resistant to outliers? Is it affected by outliers? Okay. And then the mean, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just flipping it, flipping around. So then is the range, the range is the max and min, is that resistant to outliers? Okay, why not? Uh huh. Well, and so in, in outlier is a specific value. And so let's say um, we're, we're doing this class and, and um, we do heights, and I, and I write down Timothy's height wrong, and I give him a, a height of you know, 120 uh, inches. That's an outlier value. And so if we looked at the distribution, the max would say 120, you'd be like, um, something's wrong with that range. Like, that outlier is really affecting it. Whereas if, if we realize, oh, that was an error, and we remove that outlier, then the, the range is going to kind of go back to what sort of would be expected. Um, let's see. Why, why do I say this? The range is. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So, yeah, this is confusing because resistant means the opposite. <laughs> so, it's um, what? Resistant. <laughs> I feel like resistant and backwards. Resist. Isn't it can't change? Well, so okay, so the range. Is the median resistant or not resistant? So the median is resistant to outliers. Yeah. 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 So okay. So resistance is um, whether or not it's affected by outliers. Yeah. 
So, and, and, and probably a way that just for, you know, for clarity is that is this um, measure affected by outliers? That's probably a better way to, um, to think about it. Like, do, does having an outlier in the data affect this particular measure, like range or inter, interquartile range? Um, I'll have to, I'm, now I'm confusing myself, so I'll go back and double check. Yeah, it's a double negative, so. Um, so then is the IQR, which is the interquartile range, is that resistant to outliers? Yeah. Perfect. So the I, IQR is not affected by outliers. Yeah, that is really, that's not a very good um, term to use because it's the double negative. So it just, and when we're introducing new terms, it's not helpful to um, make ones that are like this. I'll go back and check and see if I can find a, a better way to, um, to convey that. Um, okay, so measures of spread. Okay, let's see. Uh, so outliers can be informally uh, identified by looking at a plot. So just like through no mathematical means or anything, you can sort of say an outlier, you can just see it visually. Like, wow, that looks like an outlier. Um, there is a formal rule for identifying outliers, and, um, and it's basically is the data value um, more than 1.5 IQRs beyond the quartiles? So if, if someone said, you know, formally speaking, and this is just, it's, it's an arbitrary definition, but it's what someone came up with, like, this is considered an outlier if it's more than 1.5 IQRs beyond the quartile. And that's really confusing. Um, so we'll, we'll break it down. A data value is an outlier if it is smaller than this equation. So whatever your, your first quartile value is, minus 1.5 times IQR, and IQR is that interquartile range of Q3 minus Q1. Um, so this is, that's just a formal definition, yes? Does this still only work on, like, on the yeah, uh, Let's see. No, it can work on, it can work on, yeah. It can work on, work on any. Um, or if the value is larger than the opposite. So it's basically saying, it's, it's a mathematical way of saying, so when you say an outlier, so when I say an outlier, a value is an outlier, and Chelsea says a value is an outlier, we're, we're, use, we're not, it isn't just my judgment against her judgment, but we're using sort of a, a standard equation to um, measure the outlier. Um, so, okay, we're gonna, so with, with box plots, this slide will explain everything, so I'm not gonna go through it because I wanna get to, to correlations, but, um, did you guys see these in the readings? Okay, very confusing, um, n not very intuitive, but I've, I've um, I'm not going to go through this with you, but I've, I've broken it all down so that you can kind of know what it's sort of what it means. Because even in the book, it it, it does it with words and it doesn't match the words with the actual picture. So <laughs> this. If you just take this slide and look at it and say, okay, this is what these are what the different aspects of the box plot is measuring, 
um, this slide will help you, I think. Um, so we're going to move on to, to quantitative um, statistics by category. And so, um, so the statistics we calculate for a quantitative variable like height or weight can be looked at separately for each level of a categorical variable. Um, so if we want to do this with the example of, of height in this class, so height is the quantitative variable. What's a categorical variable that we can compare, that we can sort of look at within um, height? Chelsea. Gender. Gender. Okay. So yeah. So so that's exactly what we'd be doing is you take whatever quantitative variable of interest, height, income, education, and then you can look at it, how it differs by a particular categorical variable, gender, race, uh, religion. And so uh, for this one, we're going to do quantitative variable is the number of hours spent studying per week. And then the categorical variable is going to be academic ma major. <coughs> And so the mean number of hours spent studying per week by major is this. Is, uh, so for arts and humanities, it's 16.2 hours. Social sciences, 17.5. And natural sciences, 17.8. And so this is beginning to see um, sort of uh, how quantitative statistics vary by different categories of, of people or groups in your data. And so this would be a thing that you'll want to do as you're, as you're, say you're looking at income and you want to say, does income vary by religion? Um, you could look at the mean value. So this is like, the, of all the people in the arts and humanities, this is the mean value um, of hours they study. I should, I should put the, um, the overall mean, just so you can kind of see, like there's one above, above or below. And then uh, you can also look at a relationship between two quantitative variables. So the example we've been using is, is like height and weight, or you can use income and education. So you take two quantitative variables and you look at, at their relationship. Um, and so uh, a scatter plot is, is a graph of the relationship between two quantitative variables. So if, if you look at, have any of you guys seen this before, or did you see it in the reading? Okay. So you'll see these a lot. I mean, this is like one of the, the ways that you sort of visualize data and look for patterns. But on, on the x-axis, you're going to have one variable. And this time, we have study uh, number of hours spent studying. And then on the other axis is the variable that you're comparing it with. In this case, it's GPA. And so then, um, let's see. Chris, what does this dot represent, and how do you interpret it? Yep, exactly. So, so then that's each of these dots represent a different person, and and you can sort of you can tell their value um, by looking at looking at where they fall on the graph. So each dot represents one case. Um, so then the question is, do the dots form a clear trend? Like, are they? Um, is, is there uh, a relation, do you see a relationship? Like as, as, as you go out on the x-axis and you go up on the y-axis, do the dots move in a certain direction? Not really. Not really. Um, and so there's, there's a, sort of a scale or a continuum 
of a relationship. Um, so if you look, and there's, there's a formal way to measure it, but this is just visually looking at it, um, that there is a slight um, sort of upward direction. Um, not, not super strong, but, it's, but you can see something there. Um, and in this case, it's upward in the sense that the line is moving this way. It'd be downward if the line was moving this way. Um, are there any outlier points? Okay. He doesn't have a 4.0. Yeah. And then there's this person who studies 10 hours. So, so there are some outliers, and that's important, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so here's two. I should circle that one as well. But it's important to sort of say, are there outliers? Um, so then uh, when we're talking about correlations or associations, a positive association means that the values of one variable tend to be higher when the values of the other variable are higher. So as, as height goes up, weight goes up. Like there's a, a positive association. A negative association um, means that values of one variable tend to be lower when the values of the other variable are, are higher. And so as one goes up, the other one goes down. Um, and then no association exists between two variables if, if knowing the value of one variable doesn't give you any information on the other variable. Can you? Yeah. I was going to ask if you can say correlation Yes. Correlation, association, and relationship are all interchangeable terms. So correlation is sort of the, the formal uh, way to talk about it, and there's, there's a, a a mathematical equation to sort of calculate correlation. So you, you don't just have to sort of say, well, it looks like a relationship, sort of. You can actually give it, uh, you can quantify it. And so the sample correlation, R, measures the strength and the direction of a linear association between two quantitative variables. Ah, another formula. So, um, so, uh, does anyone recognize anything within here that it's that it's measuring? Do you see some some similarities? Z score. Z score. Let's see. You got it. Timothy is right on. He called it. So you're looking at the Z score for X and the Z score for Y. So there's some rhyme and reason behind um, these formulas and what they're measuring. But um, I'll go back here. The x, sx is the sample standard deviation for variable x, and then sy is the standard deviation for variable y. And basically, x is the one quantitative variable, and y is the other quantitative variable. And so what you're doing is you're sort of mapping uh, the z-scores. And you're seeing, when, when you multiply them together, what, what um, what outcome it produces. And so I'll show you, I'll walk you through the correlation. So let's say height is x, the one variable that we're looking at. And so you need the reference point. So the mean, the mean height is 64 inches. And then x1, x2, x3 are the, the values in your sample. And it goes out to, say, 100. And then right here is the z-score for each of these values. And that's sort of what's going to be going in right there. And that's where sort of the, the main mechanisms is going to be taking place. So then if we look at weight, 
um, the mean weight is 180 pounds, uh, and then Y1, Y2, Y3 is, is the weights in the sample, and these are the z-scores. And so what you'll be doing is, um, is multiplying 1.2 times 0.9, and then multiplying 1.8 times 1.3, and negative 1.3, negative 1.4. And that's this. And so what you see is, because every time the height has a high z-score, what do you notice the weight having? A positive z-score or a high z-score. Um, what happens when, when height is down and it has a negative z-score? Yeah. So it's, it's basically saying for each, and you're always looking at um, the value for one particular respondent. So you're looking at x3 as a, a person, you look at their, their height and what its z-score is, and then you look at their weight and what that z-score is. And so if there's a relationship, if sort of the height has a similar z-score as the weight, then you'll know, and in all the, very, in all the data values have that relationship, then you're going to know that there's going to be a stronger association. Um, so positive correlation R being greater than zero exists when positive scores for X tend to occur with positive Z scores for Y and vice versa. Oh. So we'll end right here. Um, I'll send out the assignment. Or it'll be on. Uh, do the PowerPoints work? Can you read them mm -hmm. in that form? Okay. So that is all.